You know, almost everything made by man has a usefulness and a lifespan and cannot last forever. You know, if you buy a new car, you will see that warranty is for five years. And they don't give you what is warranted. They don't give you the document until you have a problem when you go and see them in the workshop. Then they tell you this is not covered. If you will really ask from them and they will give you a warranty certificate and the details of it, the fine print of it, you will find that the five years warranty is a general warranty and they warrant those parts that don't break down one. You know, all the electronics nowadays, the most of our cars are very electronic, has a lot of electronics, and that warranty is only one year, you know. Your electronic door lock and all those things are only warranty one year. And, and what does that five-year warranty covers? Those parts that don't break down, uh, you know, the frame that carries the engine, you know, the axle housing, and all those steel rods, those things don't break down, they won't rust either. So those things are warranty for five years. But actually, they can last longer than that. But any warranty that is given to us, if we don't read the fine print, uh, we will be disappointed. You know, even the International Space Station, which is above the weather and the environmental condition, it is failing in space as well. SUS-304 stainless steel, can corrode over time. My son was complaining to me about the stainless steel tank, uh, stainless steel sink, SUS 304. This is the highest grade of stainless steel. Okay, after using for the first week, they find that, hey, got rusty stain one. Uh. SUS 304, we used to use that for stainless steel railing, okay, that is open to the environment, that's supposed to last forever, but it is not so. Okay. And so we cover this last uh, series on our sermon series on First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, this is the practical part of the letter that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. Paul has a very uh, 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 a set way of writing. In the beginning of his letter, usually he will deal a lot with the theological part of it things. A lot of theological teaching that he will uh, impart. And the later part of most of his letter, he will present the practical, the application, okay? the things that we can actually do uh, in our own ways. So these days are getting more and more confusing and challenging, especially between value systems. You know, value determines uh, how a person operates and when values are different, uh, there will be collusion with other people. So we are so uncertain of what is going to happen and in a matter of days, many things can drastically be so different and change. And we know that Jesus is coming soon, his return is coming soon and we are in the last days but of course no one knows when. Evil things will get worse, you know, and come to a climax and then Jesus will return. But believers, while that waiting for that to happen, they have to wait for that day to happen. They have to wait it out. We kind of know the present, the present that we are in now, 
and we know the future up away from us now that Jesus will return and usher in the kingdom of God. But we do not know when. We kind of know the present and the end. But in between, what are we to do while we are still waiting, while we are still on earth? And how are we to last our faith? And this is what the section that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. The happenings now indicate uh, and our present moment in year 2022 indicates that the Lord is coming very soon. But meanwhile, what are we to do? The answer is stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. And this morning, I want to preach on Paul's instruction to the Thessalonians how to stand firm. How to stand firm. Okay, the title of my message is Guaranteed for Life. And after when, you, when we go through this sermon, we will definitely be assured that our faith is guaranteed for life. And I want to read the portion from 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to verse 17. Okay? And of course, uh, Pastor Ming uh, last week has preached from chapter 2 as well. But I want to emphasize this morning from verse 17, uh, 13 to 17. It says here, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teaching we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful that this morning we can look into your word. We thank you for the instruction that you have given us. And this morning, Lord, we can rejoice and we can follow after those instructions. And surely, Lord, that you have desires for us that, Lord, we will stand firm and we will last the pace. So we commit ourselves to you, Lord. Open our spirit even as we receive your word. Let your anointing rest upon us. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We read in chapter 2 here how Paul gave a portion of the chronology of the last day. A chronology, a portion, not the full portion. And we can get it here that before the second coming of Jesus for his bride, which is the church, which are us, there are something that must happen. And these are the things that happen that will indicate to us, will show us what we are about to experience. First, we read of the rebellion. We read about the rebellion. This is not just some demonstration here and there. Okay, like verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. Oh, this, is, this is bigger than all those. Okay, this, that kind of a rebellion is a whole worldwide that is going on. It's not just some demonstration here and there, but an active worldwide rebellion against God and His people. 
against anything that has godliness in it, anything that has good values in it. This has not happened before in such a large and big scale where political, where social, where financial pressures are heaped on the church and the believers of Jesus Christ. And so I was talking here just now about a clash of values. And this happened to dampen, to hinder and to persecute the church of God from progressing. And to anyone that adheres to godliness in their life. There will be upheavals and troubles everywhere. Like we are experiencing some of them now in Europe. After this big and active worldwide rebellion resulting in chaos, it says the second thing will happen. Then will manifest the man of lawlessness. The man of lawlessness. So it's given to us here two things. First is the rebellion and second is the man of lawlessness. So when we see these things that are happening, we can, uh, we, we can know that the end is coming. Of course, there's another thing that I will share later on that will be very indicative of the second coming of Christ. Paul did not mention who that man was or who the man is. I, and I think that he doesn't know his name and he doesn't know who. He just know by word of prophecy. And this is not Satan. This is an agent of Satan. And this is a man. A man. In verse 8 here, it states that he, he will be revealed. He will show himself. Alright? It is not a spiritual uh, being uh, that you cannot see or cannot touch, but he will be revealed. Okay? And this guy can do counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and deceive the people of the world as well as Christians. And to many of us, I want to give you this caution. Don't just follow after signs and wonders because this guy can counterfeit all these signs and wonders. You build your life as a disciple of Jesus, strong in the word of God, know what you believe. Okay, you will chase after signs and wonders. You are in a dangerous position. The discerning believer will be able to tell because, because uh, he will usher in evil, evil values. But the people and, uh, of the world and philosophers of the day, they will, they will be deceived into following and believing in him. Sometimes you wonder why the bank manager will lose so much money to the scam. Sometimes you wonder why the lawyer can lose so much money to a scam. Here we are. The clever people, the philosophers of the world will follow and believe in him. As believers, we have godly values and we can tell what is good and what is evil. And we teach them to our children and we tell them to hold them. But to the so-called modern people and philosophers, they will accept his values wholeheartedly. They will somehow be deceived and be bought into them. They will brand good as evil and evil as good. 
And God will be so frustrated that He will send a great delusion on the people. And the people will be totally confused and lost. And it will be harder and harder to really say what is good and what is not good. Out of this, I can see conflicts all over the world. As people confront each other with their own belief, their own ways, and their own agendas, their own interests as well, just like company would want to protect their own interests. He is so smart that he can even maneuver the Jews and gain acceptance to enter, to sit in the temple and call himself God. So smart. He has to be a genius to outsmart the Jewish geniuses. Jews are clever people, right? And he is cleverer than them because he mentioned to us he will put himself up as God. And that is mentioned here. A third thing I want you to pay attention is the temple, the temple of God. But right now there is no temple in Israel. Since the Romans destroyed it, until today there is no temple. A temple during that time, after Jesus was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans under General Titus. And until today there is no temple. So when the third temple is built in Israel, all of us will know that we are in the last second of the last hour that Jesus will be returning. Jesus will return. You know, in our last visit to Israel, we saw the golden lampstand on display. Huge one in a glass case on display, which I was told will be installed in the new temple when it is being built. Now, whether this is really the gold one or not, I'm not sure. It's painted gold color. Lah. But uh, I was quite surprised that the security was so lax there. You can break the glass shelf and carry it away. <laughs> but it was huge, bigger than the size of a man. Uh, definitely, it's very heavy. So, brothers and sisters, the stage has been set and we are waiting for the one. As Pastor Ming preached last Sunday, who is the one that hold him back? Pastor Ming says that it is the church in the last day. If you remember her message. Until the one that is taken away then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But he will not last long as God will pour out his judgment on him, overthrow and destroy him at the coming of Jesus Christ. It talks about the three and a half years of peace and then the three and a half years of uh, turmoil and, uh, and, and hardships. That is when he will be destroyed. It will be like the classic story of God taking vengeance on evil and usher in the millennium rule of Christ, the 1,000 rule of Christ on earth. Such is the portion of the chronology that Paul tells the Thessalonians. He gave to the Thessalonians and told them of the future hope. So meanwhile, Paul told them 
while all these are going to happen and all this that will be happen, that what they need to do now is to stand firm in the faith and wait for Jesus. Stand firm in the faith and wait for Jesus. So my question this morning is, how are we to stand firm? And I take this message, this sermon from verse 13 here. The first part of verse 13. Okay. God has chosen us. We all have to settle the matter that our faith is not a religion or a man-made belief system. What we have believed is the most holy faith. And we have invited God the Almighty into our life. It is not a man-made faith. I just heard, recently heard that China is trying to rewrite the Bible. They're going to create a religion for the Christian in China. In Vietnam, there is called a Kaodaoism, man-made religion for the people because they are communists. Eh? So they found that the, the people need something to worship. So they created a religion for the Vietnamese. They have church. They have people to uh, 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 install and to cause the people to worship. Kaodaoism. Our faith is not only what the apostle of Jesus taught, but also can be attested to be true by our everyday experience. It is not a dogma, a list of things, a do's and don'ts, but something that we can live out, live out with others, that we can relate to. And I can say it is not a religion because religion binds people. But a relationship with Jesus that liberates and sets us free. Set us free, not man-made, but set us free. Mind, body and spirit. Mind, body and soul. When we read the Bible, we can tell definitely that it was written from the author of life giving us the opportunity to be his own people. That God has made a way for us. And this relationship with Jesus empowers the weak and the downtrodden. And liberate us. Many of us are shut up in our mind, not able to break through. Many of us are shut up in our body by sicknesses and diseases. We are not healed in Jesus' name. And many of our, 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 my, our character and personality has been locked up and we cannot find a breakthrough. It is the faith that comes from God and we have been chosen by Him to subscribe to this relationship and this relationship offers freedom for all of us. Now this is a great privilege to have been chosen by God to be His own people. For we are a chosen nation, a holy priesthood, a people belonging to God. You know, in my travel to Israel again, I found that they are so reaching to my faith. And many of the things I read about in the Bible, though many of these are not accurate on sight, but it did happen that some of those evidences were there. The travel gave me a personal encounter 
with the events that took place that were recorded during the time of Jesus. And of course, earlier as well. Some of those are really uh, for tourist attraction only, not real one. Okay, but they confirm other things. They confirm to me what the Bible talked about really did happen. The first time was very significant to me because it was an all-pastors trip. Only pastors go on that trip. And as such, there were many pastors that were asking many significant questions about what happened and what is that all about. And we were so blessed by this, uh, this, this uh, messianic Jew, this tourist guy, that was so well-versed in the Bible as well as in the, uh, 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 the touristy things. It was a faith-strengthening visit for me. Paul told the Thessalonians to stand firm in their calling, and we are to do so today. Paul has told them a long time ago. They have waited. They have gone on. Today, we are still waiting, and we know the time is getting near. Then environment and setting may be very different, but one thing is common, suffering is common. Scripture has warned us before that anyone who chooses to live a godly life will be persecuted. The world will love to have us, but we are chosen and called out by God to live differently. And the world did not like it. And so the world persecute us. We expose their darknesses and they didn't like it. And they persecute us. And this is the common thing that happens to everyone who choose to live a godly life. And we have to take it in our stride that suffering is the way of life for all believers. From the very beginning when the church was born, Right then, suffering and persecutions were common. During the Roman time, it was worse than here, worse than now. How would you like your property to be confiscated, that you are thrown out from your job? Because today, these things don't happen. How much today, when, will depend on individual? But no one can escape this clash of value system. The world is getting smaller. Everyone is pushing his way. And so if you have a different value system, you will clash and collide. Since this is going to be common, let us not emphasize so much as if it is a strange thing. But learn to stand firm and continue in our faith. Learn to continue in our faith. I sympathize with those. I do not play it down of those who are suffering and those who are going through hard times. I don't play it down. I don't play down their sorrows and their pains. But we have to depend on the mercy of God to help us. We know that God is merciful and He will quickly help us to bring relief to all our suffering. Paul says, stand firm. And so we need to endure and stand our ground in the face of hardships. So our endurance 
is one characteristic that we need to build up. Endurance and stand our ground. And that is exactly what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. While you are waiting for Christ to return, these things are happening. So you need to stand firm. You need not give up for easy life. Secondly, how are we to stand firm? In the, mid, uh, the second part of verse 13, the Spirit is perfecting us. The Spirit is perfecting us. We are not left alone to face the hardships of life. God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us in every aspect. Divine help is available for every believer who will trust in Him. And I think the key word here is trust. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. And so on and so forth. I think trust does, cannot be, be taken out from our vocabulary. It is not only for Paul or the traveling evangelists and the teachers during his days, but it's also for our modern believers like us as well. We still need to go through the trust factor. They will not better off than us. But it is the same Spirit helping them. And it's the same Spirit that is here today to help us. They face so much pressure you know, in their days and their life-threatening events. They have been challenged again and again. Right? So much so, at the Colosseum in Rome, you know, wild animals tearing up Christians is a common thing. Feeding Christians to the lion is a common practice and a common entertainment. It was so bad during those days. Life-threatening event. But many of them come up victoriously. And so today, we can as well. What is the secret of their success? It has a lot to do with our surrendered life and commitment. With our surrendered life and commitment. When we take two boats at the same time, huh? this is a Chinese proverb, one Christian and one the other world. We will come to a point when there will be a split. And that is the point where it begins to hurt us, where we need to make a decision. And so I exhort you to stay the course with Jesus and be single-minded, not taking two boats at the same time. We are not wise when we mix the two ways because God is not pleased with that. You know, to extract gold, I read up, I thought that I knew, but then I read up again. To extract gold, the all-containing gold deposit must first be put into the furnace, which will be heated to 1,100 degrees Celsius. 1,100 is very, very hot. And this caused the gold to separate from the impurities. And the impurities probably will float to the surface and that's what they call the, the dross. And they will take out the dross. And at that temperature, there will still be other impurities that are still in the gold itself. 
that will not burn away even at that temperature. And so there's a need to use chemicals and also a second furnace time. A second furnace time. This is where the idea no, a second furnace time. The process make gold ingots and from there they turn it into other usage. 99.99% gold go through this process of refining and because of that they have better values. They are more pure than other processes. So don't complain too much of our hardships in life. Life is not always about having comfortable and smooth journeys. So we need to reset our mind and accept that we will not always have nice ways, but we will have the peace all the way because present comfort will be enjoyed and then forgotten. It's very easy to upgrade and very easy to enjoy good life. And after that, after enjoyment, we ask for more. First, we drink water. Then we drink tea. Then we drink coffee. Ah, brother Danny. And after that, we go for beer. And then to liquor. And so on and so forth. Good life is enjoyable, of course. But after that, you will be thirsting for more. There will be no end to this kind of a desire. We connect comfort with a blessed life all the time. But this is not always true. God blesses us. We enjoy the comfort for a moment. But God is not finished with us yet. And we cannot be satisfied with good life. Our journey is one of faith and cooperation with the Spirit. In the midst of hardship, there will be peace and a blessed assurance that God is with us. It will be well with our soul when we determine to follow His ways. The Spirit is bringing us through difficulties to perfect us, to train us in godliness. As gold is being Process. We are being processed as the Spirit leads us. We need to cooperate then and to surrender to His ways so that we can be presented to God as a beautiful, as a holy bride to Him when He comes. Okay, sometimes you can be disgusted when we see that the bride that is getting married does not bother to dress up, does not bother to make up and come for the wedding. And similarly, God can be disgusted with us when we resist the Holy Spirit intervention in our life to perfect us, to make us holy and acceptable to Him as a bride of Christ. And without a molding process, we will not be fully ready on that day when He comes. But thank God that God is still working in us and perfecting us for that day. And God has given us time now, right? Given us time now until He will return. But we must not squander that time. A time now is for us to be perfected in Him. And thirdly, how are we to stand firm 
The third part of verse 13 is to believe in the truth. Believe in the truth. The gospel that Paul told the Thessalonians was the same gospel we have today. They were taught by Paul himself, by his traveling evangelists, together with him, his team workers, and also to our teachers. But today we have the advantage of the written word compiled together. In the Thessalonian times, there were oral traditions that may be forgotten, uh, forgot, uh, 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 forgotten, miscommunicated, and sometimes misinterpreted. But when Paul started to write them in letters, praise God, praise God, they have the solid foundation to rely on, no longer dependent on hearsay, but it's really written by, the, by Paul himself to them. And their belief is not taught by any other. And he told them, this is the teaching that comes from him and not anybody else. You know, there were some false teachers during that time. They came into their midst and to tell them that the day of the Lord has happened. And so they have a problem then. They were confused now. What are we going to do now if the day of the Lord has come? Have they missed the boat? What are they going to do? And some of these people, these believers, they gave up. They stopped working. And that's why in one part of this scripture, that Paul tells the Thessalonians, you have to work so that you don't depend on people. You have to find your own bread and support your own family. And he's uh, quoted the words that let them who, not, who do not work, do not eat. Now this come about because of a false teaching. Somebody came into their midst and told them that. Since Paul was the first to reach them with the gospel, others were assumed as unauthentic and their teaching were to be tested. Now, our early church fathers faced the problem of so many claims. Our early church fathers, so many claims to be true letters and teaching handed down to them. They resolved to settle this matter. And there were altogether seven Christian council meetings, lasting for a few hundred years, to try to bring orthodoxy, peace and unity for the church started as early as AD 325 and the last council was almost close to 1000 AD. We thank God that they have done the job and today we are reaping the harmony of the scriptures. And we today thank God that we can rely on the word of God. And today, there are many believers who only believe when it becomes convenient. When there are advantages and benefits, they will accept. When there are blessings, they will accept. But when there are inconveniences and commitment to be made, when it costs them, they will shy away. When it is challenging, then they will put it aside and follow the ways of the world. 
the modern people will have a hard time to believe the truth in God's word. Not only saying that you have a hard time, but the people of the world will have a hard time. As they think that it doesn't matter, as they are the center of the universe, they think, okay, and the truth is relative. So most people, to most people, truth is subjective and only true when it is useful to them. The truth that Paul talked about has nothing to do with comfort and conveniences. It has to do with the person of Jesus. Truth is a person. Pontius Pilate was confused when Jesus told him, who is the truth? When one is related to Jesus, he has the truth to live by. And we are to make commitment to Jesus and his ways. And to put to death our earthly desires that always cause us to war within us. To say we believe the truth is easy, very easy, until we are put to the test of hardships and discomfort. Then we will have to decide. When we have to die daily, deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Jesus, it begins begin to be challenging. Then we will know whether we really believe in the truth of Jesus. There are many other things, many hardships that we go through and sometimes we do not find answers to that. When we apply what Jesus will do in a situation and not counting the cost, then we have the truth and the truth will set us free. Now knowing and doing is a different thing. Okay? You know the truth and you must practice and do the truth. Then you will be liberated. When we make that kind of a commitment, we can safely say that we believe the truth that is how we stand firm in the Lord. Believe the truth of God. That's how we stand firm in the Lord. And so in concluding, what I preach is not rocket science. It's that simple yet demanding. Discipleship is demanding and calls for commitment. No other way. It's demanding and calls for commitment. Where do we stand? Paul knew that in later times, there will be false teachers and false doctrines will come in, shipwreck many believers, and he calls for believers to stay the course and not give in to other teachings. There's one, one verse in Galatians 1 verse 8 that says that even if he or an angel that comes from heaven would preach another gospel, let them be condemned. It was that serious about the gospel that Paul preached. The, boss, the gospel was that serious with Paul to unadulterate the faith. He calls for purity. He calls for commitment then to his gospel and not to compromise. And not to compromise. Standing firm is necessary with the onslaught of modern propositions modern philosophies 
and humanistic ideas. Many of these are very human and very palpable, very, uh, seems to be uh, good for humankind. In the name of inclusiveness, they call for tolerance and compromise. But no, we have to ensure the truth remains the truth. The truth will remain the truth. We have to know the season and make preparation to defend the truth, to defend ourselves, to defend our fame, that we will not be shipwrecked because of some events that take place. There's something that happened in the world that shakes our faith. We have to defend and make our stand. We have to ensure we have the right thoughts and mind to determine to stay constant with Jesus. And so the three things that I preach about, how we need to stand. We must have accepted God's chosen way for us. Secondly, we must have cooperated and allowed the Spirit to perfect us. And thirdly, to have believed in the truth without changing stance. Without changing stance. Then, we are standing firm and are guaranteed for life. Today, we can safely make a definite commitment to stand firm in our faith. Come what may. Today is a good day. Today is a good time. It's a good environment now for you to determine to stand firm in the faith. For you to build your life that when the storms come, when hardship comes, you will be strong. You will be able to stand against the hardships. So I trust that all of us will make that decision. All of us will be serious with our faith. Jesus is coming back soon. And all this turmoil and all this confusion is going to take place. But we must be smart in our own ways so that we can make a stand for Jesus and we save ourselves. Let us pray.